Welcome back. This is part two of Peter Panagor's interview with me on his blacklight experience. You may remember we left off after Peter froze to death while ice climbing. He negotiated his return and he's now back among the living, but completely changed by the experience. He has new experiential knowledge of how the universe is constructed and what it means to be human. We continue our conversation by trying to answer the question of how do you live with what you know? We tackle some interesting topics, the role of language, religion, and spirituality, how to live life more fully for ourselves and for others. We start off this conversation with me wondering how we came to be able to describe an ineffable experience. Here is our interview. You're trying to talk about something that is essentially ineffable. And so what's the process to use to come up with the metaphors that, that help us understand what you went through? I I had a radical change in my life. Uh, I was going to be an architect. I was, I had a pencil in my hand as a kid, father's firm, um, working in construction. I ditched all of that. And I went to divinity school. And in Divin- I didn't go to divinity school to study theology. I went to divinity school to avoid the monastery of a life of contemplation because, because I found that the only way that I was going to uh, reattach myself to the divine was by going in on the interior, but no sex life. That was a that was kind of a deal breaker for me. So I, w- I did the next best thing. I, I, went, I went to divinity school and I convinced the dean of students to allow me a three-year independent study uh, which was partially funded. They found money in the university to pay for this, where I got to study the history of contemplation and mysticism uh, from 900 to 1600, primarily in the West, and under her tutelage and um, wrote my dissertation on it. So I went I went hunting for language, Scott. That's what I did. I, I realized I had read, I had taken this class and I had read this book, okay, book called Mysticism, an anthology by a guy named F.C. Happold, a book I still teach, um, that exposed me to the history of mysticism. And in the history of mysticism, I was an English major, so I understood metaphor and symbol and myth, and I'd encountered the romantics and the transcendentalists who were primarily mystics, William Blake, um, Henry David Thoreau for two, Emily Dickinson for three, um, they wrote in a, in a metaphorical language. When I read these people, I discovered that they were speaking metaphor as well. And so that they, I, what I real, came to realize is that there were language forms inside of religious traditions, because religious traditions all originate with a mystical experience. Somebody has a visitation from God, and then uh, somebody else builds religion around it. And the problem with mysticism is that it abhors abhors organization, which is why near-death experiencers are difficult to control um, because nobody (laughs) really cares about what the rules are, um, except for love. And love becomes the dominant morality of a life lived in a mystical relationship with the divine. So I went hunting for, for language 
um, in divinity school. And then the Dean, I was going to go off for my doctorate. And um, she's like, well, you know, you should consider being a minister because you have all this compassion. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a three-year try. And I did, and I was going to leave, go back to graduate school, but we got pregnant, my wife and I, and I had to have a job. And so I stayed in cash flow. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. (laughs) Got a baby. You know, what's what Buddha say Uh, before enlightenment, uh, chop wood, carry water after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. That's the way it is. And uh, so so I I explored Christian language. So I'm 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 I fall into a, a large rubric into which you fall of mystical experience that is historic, that is trans-religious, trans-cultural. All of them have different languages. The Upanishad language is different than the Buddhist language, which is different than the Jewish language. But all of these have roots in mysticism. And there's all these language forms, traditional language forms, that in their root have mystical meaning. And so... I I went on this lifelong quest. And so when I was a minister in these churches where I served, I continued reading. I can I read I read uh Zen Mind, Zen Culture, Open Mind, Open Heart, Late Medieval Mysticism, The Meditation of Christ, uh Rilke, uh Buddha. Varieties of mystical experiences. Mystical experiences. I read every I read all the Nag Hammadi texts, I read all the Dead Sea Scrolls, I read I read everything that I could. Because none of the languages are accurate, and no, that if it can't be that by can't be. by the very fact that they're words, they're putting boundaries on concepts that don't have boundaries. Exactly, and so what this means is, if we can if we can convince everybody of the truth of what you just said, then th- we can develop a, a language for the twenty first century, where where when we when I say Holy Spirit. You don't hear uh, Bible-thumping, oppressive, um, slave-holding, 18th-century preacher. You, right? Yep. So when I say Shaktipad, you hear Soma, you hear um, presence of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are language forms that are simply constructs to communicate the ineffable and all of them. So all of them are inadequate, but there's one thing, one language that's not inadequate. And that is the language of the interior journey. And in the interior journey, when, when one creates a capacity, you can dig your way back to God. I've spent my life digging my way back to the divine, to the source through my interior practices to create a capacity for energy transmission and it's energy transmission, not with the direction of intentional healing or communication of anything other than the light itself, because the, this golden fleck of light inside all of us, that is the divine presence that sees itself. That's the divine presence that's inside of all of us experiencing the lives as we live them. And we are beloved for who we are at the core of our being. And when this when that becomes the orientation and the desire of the heart, when the oneness of being, the singleness of self, the return to the divine, then, then there's all this forgiveness that flows. I, I can forgive your brokenness, Scott, because I see my own. I can love your light because I love my own. I can, and, and it eliminates all of these 
it eliminates all these divisions. Um, and it doesn't do it through reason or knowledge. It does it through the divine presence itself. Yeah, it does and, it through experience. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you say brokenness, is that another word for duality? Yes, another word for duality. Because the when I when I was dead the, f- the first time, and, and 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 I need to say that it's it's not just this near death experience. It's another near death experience, and it's a whole series of um, extraordinary mystical experiences that I've had throughout my entire life that inform um, my understanding. And so, but when I was dead this first time, I I saw I saw the the unlimited and and the unlimited unmanifested and it was the unlimited unmanifested which is which is purity itself and purity itself in its in its divine nature can't exist anywhere but in itself there can be no brokenness in it there can be no limitation in it it's the one thing the one thing there's a rabbinic question what's the one thing that the unlimited can't experience limitedness and so the limitedness of duality this broken nature which which could be called satan as well with a small s not an evil being but a separation a darkness we are all in darkness here in comparison to the light even those of us who see light it's still freaking dark here okay so so it's just it's still really dark um it but really dark. The, really, it's, really dark. It's really, really dark. And it can be in some people, some people, even though they have the light, everybody's got this light inside them, but some people, and maybe it's genetics or upbringing or who knows what happened. You know, I, there's a, some combination of nurture and nature. I don't really know. And agreement. An agreement. Well, selfishness. Well, oh, agreement. Uh, you mean like on the other side? Yeah. So, we oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we that came too. in with this oh, yeah, yeah. design, and, you know, part yeah. of the design was. I got blinders on this time around. Yep. Most people do. But most people see, here's the thing. Half the people, Marjorie Willicott at the last IANS conference, she gave a paper that in which she uh, showed research that showed that 48% of those people studied had 3,350 people-ish um, had visitations from the dead. That's a mystical experience. That's a seeing of the light. 50% yeah, yeah. of the people. That's a huge number. Um, so, so when you came in, um, there was this big beam of light and, and you could have chose, chosen to go right in the middle of this big beam of light, but you didn't, you kind of moved to the little bit to the outside it did. so that you could have that experience with the divine and have the experience of, of self. Yes. So, right. So now that you're here fully in the physical, um, how, how, how much of a connection do you have on the other side all the time, part of the time, only in your it's, internal it's, search? What, how does that work? I, I, needed to, I need to say that I was told that I wouldn't live my life. I was kicked out and told, you're not going to live your life, little boy. Off I went. And, and, and I made this choice, and it's been the conflict of my life, Scott. And so I, I, I chose not the fullness of the light, and I resisted being consumed. It came back inside of me where it never stops. It never shuts off. It's, it's, always, it, it's always 
loud inside of me, always speaking, always present, but it's not always pleasant. It's, it's uh, because I, I, I wanted some selfness because part of it was if I'm going to work for you, I need to be able to be a regular human being. I can't mm-hmm. be, I can't, you know, you like in La La Land all the I, time. I can't be. I've got to be like, I got to make mistakes and have flaws and, and, you know, live, love, love physicality. I got to love physicality. Um, and uh, I. With motorcycle gloves. With motorcycle gloves. With motorcycle gloves. Yeah. And I do love physicality. I, 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 I am still a calculated high uh, extreme sport person, I guess. Um, so I'm still doing things that are age inappropriate. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Uh, so um, anyway, I I had this. I had the thing I wanted the most is this Latin phrase, and I know I'm going to slaughter it because I haven't said it in a long time. It's like tremendium mysterium fascinatium, something like that. What it means is that the thing that I desire the most is the thing that I run from the thing. (laughs) And so I was in this position. I dove very deeply inside myself because I found no satisfaction in the world. Zero, nothing but my beloved, nothing. I I went through years of depression because I I mourned my loss and I was pissed off too, because I wasn't going to live my life. It's like, I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't read the fine print of the contract. And no, um, what? they didn't show it to you. No, well, no, they did. Uh, I, it's just that I did. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, put my ex there. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, I, I had to carve my way back in. I knew that the light was there. I couldn't see it here. I could see. Okay. I, I, I knew that the divine panentheism generates everything there is, which is why I could see it as only illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I could see it only as fragmentation and instead of unity. And so I, in my books, in my studies, I realized that there were techniques that I could practice and I had to choose some because there's so many techniques. I had to pick the ones I was going to use and yep. I would practice those for the whole of my life, which I have done. And now it's 40 years later, I am still practicing them. And I, and I found that in these practices that I, I, two things happened. I carved a space inside myself where I, my, my centering prayer practice is all about, it's like very Zazen. It's, it's all about the stillness of the mind and the end of thought and the stepping aside. I'm the only one in the way between me and the divine. If I can step aside in a regular practice every day with my breath and my chant and, and eventually deeper than that, I, I can eliminate my false self. And so that's what I've been after. That's my, I've been, it was all the years I was in the church. I was God's secret agent is what I thought in my head. I didn't tell anybody that because secret agents don't tell. Right. So um, I, and I kept the whole thing a secret and their shows get canceled after four years. So they, they do, especially if, especially if they get caught. Right. Except for James Bond, he seems to get caught and he keeps coming back, but he gets reincarnated. He's like Dr. Who he comes back in a new form all the time. So Anyway, what happened was that I, and with the Kriya Yoga, um, I combined these two things, which brings me back to language. 
And so I, I realized on the very first day that no language I could speak could ever capture the message itself. What could capture the message itself? Capital M on that, but the yep. message itself. And so I practiced these two te techniques, Kriya Yoga, combined with Hatha Yoga, physical, and it became Ashtanga and Iyengar and all these other things over all the years. But the Kriya Yoga part always stayed and the centering prayer. So as I stepped myself aside, I tried to energize my soul larger than myself in the effort to uh, give Shaktipat or energy transmission. Because when a person, when the message is direct, when they have a direct experience of the divine inside themselves, it leaves a lodging of mystical knowledge on the interior of the soul that the soul knows forever. And the brain might have to catch up with it. The brain might never grasp it, which it never will grasp it, but it can experience it. And, and if that can be communicated directly in a group, which is what I experience when I go to the IONS conferences, there's, a, there's so much divine energy there. You're nodding your head, yes, so I'm, I'm assuming that you have a similar experience there. I do, I do, exactly. Yeah. Among the Trappist monks where I was uh, getting trained um, and guided, they created the radiance themselves. I experienced it with them the first time that I experienced it and, and as in a group and in ions in a group. There is, a, there is the capacity of humanity that's inborn in us. If we recognize, if we keep pointing at the light and not ourselves, because this is, a, this is a technique to step aside. It's a technique to take ego out of it, to see, but more, more importantly, you're not your human body. You are your divine light. And the more of us that'll, that find a way to channel selflessly the divine presence, the more illuminated we all become together because there's a magnification process. There's like, when you walk into that IONS conference, my experience was like walking into a force field of magnification. Like my, my aura got bigger, like, like I got inflated and everybody else's was too. And we're all like, whoa, um, <laughs> you've put on yes. some lightweight, haven't you? Um, um, <laughs> lightweight. Yeah, and, and it's so true. That's when you get into that group of people or. You know, I, I find I've taught meditation for 35 years. Yes. And, and when you're sitting there with a group of people, 30 people, 25, whatever, and you all have the same intent, mm -hmm. that group energy is way more powerful than just the individual there. It's like you said, there's a multiplier effect and it just, it builds on each other and it becomes clearer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like the the fuzziness that I have is is tempered because this person is helping out, and um, yeah. So I, it's one of the reasons I I really love it when we can gather together as groups and yeah. and try to accomplish something. You know, in my in my classes, in you know, at at conferences, yes. It, it, it's actually it, one of the reasons I like being an MC at IONS. It's because I get to help kind of direct some of that and 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 be able to uh, create the energy around it that you want to have in a conference. And and for me, it's about you just this is serious work, so you got to be a little silly when you do it. So 
Well, you're my you're my mentor, and that's that's what I'm going to try to do this year while you're away for the year. Um, I I I want to help. The conference this year is about oneness and illumination, and I want to help create an atmosphere where that can be magnified. You know, one of the things that, that Jesus said was where two or three are gathered, I am there. And in the gospel of Thomas, he expands that. And it is, the, and when he says, I am, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about this, what Christian mystics call the Christ consciousness, which other people call the divine energy or the oneness of being or Atman or Brahman or, or uh, um, Allah. Well, the whole time you were describing your experience, that's the word that, you know, the words that kept popping in my head. There's, you know, how do, how do you describe something that's limitless? And the only thing I, the, the word was, I am. It's, I am. I am. That's, I am. It's everything and, yeah. and nothing. And there's no boundaries and there's no descriptors because it's, there aren't any that, make any sense isn't that a, a, an imposition on us to get to the one thing that is all there is to not ever be able to say it and so it remains sort of secret in all of our hearts and that, that's one of the things that has happened is that mystics people have mystical experiences because they're so individually individualized and subjective, although they can be group, because we just described that. You can have that in a meditation group. Um, but it is individual, individualized, it's unsayable, and it's repressed. And so is it any wonder that we've kept to ourselves for centuries? Um, not anymore, though. That's no, over. Not, not anymore. And the, and the lovely thing is that we have you know, technology now. We have the internet so that, exactly. you know, anybody in the world can take my class that can listen to this podcast, that can take your your class. I mean, it's, and, and you can do it from anywhere. I just, I know when I teach online, I happen to use Zoom as the technology, that that ability to have group energy mm. is just the same. It's just the same. It's just the same. Well, of course, that makes sense because there is no such thing as time and space. Right. That's just the illusion of duality. Uh, so I, have, you, have you found that the, the rules of the non-physical universe, um, you have been able to pull them back into the physical universe and, and make sense of this life, uh, help other people? figure out what what they're about yes and 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 yes but i don't know if i've made knowledge sense of them they remain insensible to me um but they but there there's a a level of practicality to them that i've nurtured over the whole of my career um some of the way that it's manifested has been uh, in helping the the poorest of the poor and the the hungry and the needy and the wounded and the the ailing and the dying and so uh, in my clergy life my focus was on human the brokenness of human experience in its um, most dire ways um, in the context of the communities where I've lived and that's one way of trying to um, 
I could never fix the brokenness of all there is, but I could maybe relieve some suffering um, for those who who were desperate. Um, and so there was that, but I I find that the the deeper that I dive inside myself, and this is this is probably the biggest thing in my life um, for what you what you ask. The, the the greater the capacity I have grown inside myself, uh, the larger the overflow becomes, and so I live in the world in a bubble of light. It doesn't eliminate my problems. It doesn't fix my back or, you know, stop me from t- stubbing my toe or, or you know, pre- prevent me from missing a credit card payment and making my credit thing go up, you know? Right. Or, right. You know, all those things remain real. Um, but I live inside this. I live. Uh, and so my world becomes more magical and it it, it allows me to see more clearly the woundedness of others and let them be themselves forgive them for who they are and because most people have no idea they have they they they're wearing the blinders that they agreed to and they don't know it's like being i feel like sometimes i'm in the matrix and i'm um i can't even think of keanu reeves i can't think of his character's name um I'm, I'm like, I see the code, nobody else see the code, so I can do what I can to help people who can't see the code. And and so that's how I live my life. I, I help where I can. Um, but in terms of, I live disassociated from time. I live non, I live non-attached. I live in, my, I know my other self, my higher self is my true self. Uh, so I live sort of as a witness here, which gives me a, well, it gives me a, a a courageousness in my career um, mm. that has uh, had, well, uh, I just leave it at that. They were, they gave me courageousness in my career and, it, and it gives me um, connectedness to nature. It gives me connectedness to humanity. It, it helps me see my own flaws. Um, it, uh, it, it's, I haven't chosen to try to become uh, a medium or a healer. I've chosen to pursue the oneness of being because I'm not, I'm not from here. And, and the deeper, this is, it's not about this lifetime for me. It's about, it's about my eternal connection to divine love. And so I think that that orientation itself has created a life for me. That's um, well, it's very, it's unusual. I have, I've lived a very unusual life, but I, it's, People where I live, let me put it this way, people where I live, and I live in a small town, and I've lived here for 25 years. I was the minister in this town before I went into television. Um, People accept me for who I am. They know I'm eccentric. But they also, um, and they're like, oh, he's the stilt walker with the clown nose Um, uh, kind of thing. And But they, you know, that that word right there. by being defined as eccentric gives you this huge latitude for behavior. Oh, it totally does. <laughs> you, know, you can, you can do all kinds of things and they go, Oh, that's just Peter. He's just, that's Peter doing Peter. You yes. know, and, it, and if you accepted more of a socially appropriate role, they go, well, no, I'm sorry, but this guy's weird or we have to put him in the psych ward, but no, that's just, Oh, Peter. well, you came close to that one time. Oh Yeah. 
Really? Yep. Well, I had a mystical experience when I was in divinity school that left that lasted three days and that that I knew what was going on because I'd just been studying mysticism for three years. And I also knew who I was, but the exterior presentation of mystical experiences can sometimes be mistaken for uh, crazy. Um, and that's just, that's a hazard for everybody. And that's why people don't talk about it because you don't want to be a beard is crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, it's so interesting. You should say that. Cause I just had a, a friend of mine who I've known for 20 years who recently had a spiritually transformative experience and you know his wife put him in the psychiatric psychiatric evaluation oh and, yeah you know and and he kept saying all i'm trying to do is to learn how to love in this world yep. and it's not what i thought it was before it's 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 different and i'm trying to tell you why it is different and anyway and then of course because of the radical shift in personality they said whoops this isn't yep. this isn't who you were and we're concerned about you seriously concerned and you put your finger on it there mystical experiences give us new identities mm -hmm. they have to they have to part of um, part of my PhD work was in leadership at the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota. There, if you haven't heard of that, it's Minnesota's largest private university. And, you know, one of the things I came to understand was that leadership is an inside out phenomenon. Mm. What you believe about how the world works or how the universe works or who you are, you know, what's what is this thing that is us? That's what is presented out into the world. And, you know, a spiritual experience changes that internal dynamic. So, of course, you're going to present yourself differently. That's if you're being authentic, that's you have to present differently. And if you try to assume your old role, you know, everybody's antenna is so good that they can go, oh, there's something odd about Peter because. He's yep. not being authentic. He's not being his true self, even though it looks like the same. Something's wrong. I always, I wore a mask. The whole time I was in the church, I wore a mask. Like, yeah. um, and, but it leaked out all over the place. So I, I lived, I lived my authentic life inside myself. That's, you know, I continued my studies. I continued my practices. Um, but I, I misled the church to think that I was a believer. And. It takes a while to learn acceptable language. Yeah. You know, you have this experience and all of a sudden you're trying to wrap words around it to tell people it. And sometimes you choose language that makes you sound crazy. Yep. And, and finding acceptably acceptable language is, is, you know, is part of the path of being here in duality. Now that you've chosen to come back. And finding people where you can speak freely, where th there hasn't been, there haven't been groups. So after, after I left TV, um, the show closed after 15 years for me, 91 years for the whole show. Um, I toured New England as a preacher, 
as a near-death experience preacher, like everybody, I was out of the closet, everybody knew. And, and so all these little churches would invite me to come speak. And, and I surveyed in all these churches. And the survey I took was, who here has ever had a visitation from the dead? And nobody would raise their hand until I did. And then half the congregation and every congregation would raise their hand. Who here has ever told anybody? Everybody told somebody, but nobody told the church. Nobody would talk about it in public. They wouldn't mention it at the cocktail party. They wouldn't bring it up to their buddies. They would keep it secret. And yeah. because nobody wants to be seen as crazy. So there's this open secret. Yeah, the last stat I saw was 45%. What, what's your percentage? That you I got? thought it was 48 that, that she said, but maybe it was 45. I saw 50, I saw 50 to 70% in these congregations, not just after death experience, not, I mean, not, not just um, after death communication, but in up to 70%, including near death experience, visitations from Jesus, angels, all the, all the, all the various phenomenon placed it to 50 to 70% every time. I wonder, I wonder how much it would be if they included things like um, uh, events or signals from nature, you know, like mom's favorite bird sitting on the windowsill pecking at it the whole time. Yep, that kind of that kind of thing. This buddy of mine, he he finds dimes, and whenever he finds dimes, his he feels his son be present. Um, and mm. and it's a really good, it's a great practice for him. He's always looking for his son wherever he goes. He's always carrying his son in his pocket. Um, oh, nice. I like yeah. that. I like that. So this energy transmission that you were talking about, you, you give Shakti box. So there's the, you know, kind of the ceremonial thing around that, but um, how else do you see yourself giving energy out to people? That's the most important way for me. Um, it's been a long experiment. I keep that. I kept that part of my life secret for forty years as well, um, until people told me that they could feel it from me. People had, and I'd never asked. I never brought it up. Never mentioned it. Didn't want to. It's it's like if you're in a counseling session and you and you could say to someone, uh, "What color do you think that was?" and they'll say some color. But if you say, "What color blue do you think that was?" you're you're influencing their choice. And I didn't want to influence anybody's telling me. So it's the most important thing. But I, and I, I, I have not church. I do um, on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Uh, live stream on YouTube. I do biblical deconstruction, primarily right now in the Gospel of Thomas, um, because Jesus doesn't, Jesus talks like a near death experiencer to me. I, I, he sound, that's what he sounds like to me. And so I, I I'm, I'm fighting the, the, the mistaken idea that he was the only son of God and that, uh, that his real message was that uh, we are all seekers and we're all made of light and we're all children of God. That, they were all the same as him. And uh, we all got that gold speck in us. Yeah. We all got that gold speck in us. And so I'm doing that. What I'm trying to do is, is get uh, help people who've left the, primarily left, but not exclusively, because I have a lot of Buddhists and other kinds of people who, who watch my videos. But um, I try to help former Christians use the language that they're used to, to rethink their relationship. 
and to see what Jesus was to Jesus was always talking out of the first person. He's teaching in the second person, woe be unto you, but he's really talking about his own experience. And he's a mystic. He had he had an awakening uh, and enlightenment and and that the stories that he tells for the most part aren't the theologies that developed into the dogmas that the church teaches. And so that's that's a big part of what I do. I teach meditation three days a week, um, live on YouTube, uh, teach some Kriya Yoga. Um, Over my career, I've done a lot more, like I sat on the domestic violence homicide review panel for the state of Maine for seven years-ish, reading case files of murders and helping uh, on a social level uh, frame legislature, uh, uh, legislation that would aid those who are in domestic violence situations. So it, it, it came out in, in a lot of different organizational ways, interpersonal ways, so linguistic ways, uh, presentational ways. Um, it's always about the one thing for me though. All these ways that it manifests um, are all secondary avenues of expression. And I, 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 I try to stoke the fire inside me so that then those creative things can become practical and reality-based for people who are in need, whatever they are. Um, I wrote the books for it. That's the reason I wrote, I wrote, I wrote my uh, Heaven is Beautiful because I wanted other near-death experiencers to feel free to have a voice. You know, it, I'm, I'm stepping out here. You can step out with me. You know, 15 million of us can step out together. A hundred million of us can step out together. And then we become a, a voice, a nudge. We can nudge society. All, all of the mystical experiencers who are love-oriented can nudge society, especially if cataclysm comes. If cataclysm comes, that's when change happens structurally and organizationally in families, in societies, and in nations and corporations as well. A, a catastrophe is ripe with opportunity for challenge, for change. And if if we can, in this p- period of time in human history, where we have this technology, and we're all kind of stepping out now, com- continue our communication and see what develops in this radiance that's a multiplier, um, we're a pretty big force of divine light. Um, and... I know that people have been talking about the Great Awakening forever and ever and ever. St. Paul was talking about it. Every generation, the Millerites and Maine, they were talking about it. The Muslims, they've got their own end times. Um, the, uh, the fundamentalist Christians are like, let's get Israel back in, in place so that we can have Armageddon. Let's get Armageddon here. Everybody's talking about the great change. Um, but I really think that as medical science driving technology, raising the dead all over the world, that that is really the driver of spirituality on a global scale now. Oh, that is. Just think of all of us who've had some sort of mystical experience, and there's so many of us. So many of us that you know we could start affecting change in a way that would be profound for the human condition. I. I'll go to that church. <laughs> exactly. And uh, uh, mysticism abhors organization. So organ- I th- it, the one thing, the last thing we should do is organize a religion. Um, 
but we can organize, we can have, like, I run not church. I call it not church for a reason because it's not church. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't want it to become a religion. I don't want it to become a church. I don't want it. It's like, it's your divine direct experience. It's all about you, baby. It's all about your relationship. Um, yep. Love it. So how do people find you, Peter? Where can they get a hold of your books and your classes and your podcasts and all that? Give us a uh, give us a good commercial, will you? Well, I'd be happy to. PeterPanagore.love, PeterPanagore.love. All of my links are there. My books are um, available all over the world in multiple of formats um, on every continent. And it's an Amazon, I'm pardon me, an Audible bestseller, my second book. And I do counseling services for spiritually transformative experiences, mystical experiences, near-death experiences. I do. I guess I do consulting, counseling, and spiritual conversation is the my latest way of putting it. I'm on YouTube. We've got a channel. And um, look me up. Hit me up. Uh, I'm very communicative. Terrific. Thank you, Peter. This has been a wild and wonderful conversation. I so look forward to continuing this again um, as we progress down the path a little bit. This is this is this is going to be fun. And best wishes as being the co-MC of the IN's international conference in Salt Lake City this year. So Yahoo. Thanks. You, Thanks. Your blessing you, helps. You're you're gonna have a, a, a great time, as will all of the attendees. So Thanks, everybody, for watching. Stick around a little bit. I've got a couple of comments that I want to tag on to the end of this, so we'll see you in a second. I thought you'd like his insights on returning to the physical world, living with what you know. He said that mystical experiences give us new identities. Let's expand on some ideas. Just to be clear, These are my viewpoints, but that's why you watch the Afterlife Files to gain perspective using more than one lens with which to view this rich information. I had had to laugh when he said that mystics abhor organization. (laughs) Most of the NDEers I know gently move away from structured organizations and seek their own path. Prove that? Join me at an International Association for Near-Death Conference sometime, the International IONS Conference. I'm usually the co-MC, and it's like herding cats. <laughs> I tell you, not much for rules. Second, I appreciate his statement that spiritual language that is not inadequate is the language of the interior journey. What makes that nice is that it's a language we develop for ourselves as our experience grows. It's not imposed by others. In addition, our own language is subject to change as we learn new information or gain new insights. Rules on how you should think and what you should believe seem to be antithetical to those with many types of spiritually transformative experiences or STEs. Third, Peter places great value on spiritual practice. However, Peter was clear that it should fit your needs. In our family, Grandpa Hunter said it best, pick your own path and walk it. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and comment. I'd appreciate that. 
You can find the Afterlife Files on all podcast streaming apps. Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, the lot. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, or pay us a visit at our website, neardeathmeditations.com. I'll repeat that, neardeathmeditations.com. Bye now, see you next time, and thanks for joining us.